Amen. So as I say, uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2. And just while you're doing that, uh, one uh, wedding anniversary to mention, Aaron and Marjolein, uh, congratulations on one year of uh, married life. And uh, we pray that the Lord will give you many, many more as uh, you serve him together. So uh, this morning we begin to get back to our studies uh, in uh, Acts. Now, the thing is that some people have said to me, well, we've gone off on a bit of a, of a, of a tangent. No, we haven't, because everything fits in. But the thing is, we've not been ready to begin to move forward into chapter 2. And truthfully, there's a good number of us here this morning who are still not ready. But we have to uh, continue, and we pray that the Lord will help us and encourage us. So uh, Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Verse 4, our text. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. Can you imagine experiencing and seeing and feeling and knowing what was going on? So the last few weeks, uh, we have been, uh, in some respects, you could say that we have left our studies in Acts, but we haven't done so at all, because you'll remember that we've been talking about the power of the Holy Spirit living and working within us, and we recognize that some of us are still struggling to even begin to understand what this means. And I've got to be honest with you and say, in my heart, in my life, these messages over the last few weeks have been tremendously encouraging and challenging uh, to me personally. And as we've been reading the scriptures, and as I've been reading the scriptures, I've found, and I've admitted to you before, that prayer has not been easy for me. And yet, as I've been studying and have been reading the word of God and been thinking and preparing these messages, I can say to you that the Lord has opened up uh, to me, a great joy in my prayer time and uh, communing with him because prayer is not a one-way shopping list. It's listening as well. So remember when you come to prayer, keep your ears opened. And it's not just your voice you're listening to. It's God speaking to you. So that's what we've been doing during the course of the last few weeks and we've been trying to understand that the whole of the Christian life and I stress this, you know, there's no half Christians. There's no people that are sort of like, you know, they've got their toe dipped in some sort of Christian-y water and that means that they're all Christians. No, 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 it's not a half-hearted um, life that we live. God is jealous. He wants all of us, not just part of us. The Christian life is utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit living and working, living and working in us and through us and with us. And as we've studied the scriptures, we've been able to determine that there is a great deal of, of confusion that has taken place in churches and in individuals' lives as to what being a real Christian 
means. And I've concluded that sometimes we use the lame or the label Christian and we haven't got a clue. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Christ. And some people who call themselves Christians, I can tell you, they're following anybody else except Christ. So we need to be able to understand when we use these words, what do they really mean? Are we a follower? Are we a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? We began by looking at who a real Christian is. If you can uh, remember the various uh, studies that we've had. And we discovered that a real Christian is someone who has Jesus living within them through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now some of you are thinking to yourself, ooh, problem right there. I had a guy who came into one of these services and he said to me afterwards, it was the one when we were looking at uh, the guys in, uh, in Acts chapter 19. And Paul says to them, you know, do you know the Holy Spirit? And they say, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said to me, I'm one of them. Gone to church for 25 years, never heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to suggest the church is at fault. Because you can't be a Christian without knowing the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. And you remember that we've been studying Colossians 2 and that verse 6. How we managed to spend three weeks looking at verse 6. And now we can fully appreciate that we are dependent upon Jesus Christ for everything in our Christian lives or we should be. What does this mean in practice? It means recognizing that as I have received him, as I have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior, it's this, I can't save myself. And if you couldn't save yourself, how can you live the Christian life on your own? The two are bound together. As I have received Christ, so I live in him. On your own, you'll fail. You can't save yourself, so I must live in him. And I do this on the basis of my own bankruptcy. If you're bankrupt, you've got nothing. That's the definition of it. Everything you had is gone. And the richer people are, the harder it becomes so often. I read today of a man, 56 years old. He was the chairman of the Tata group of companies in India. And he was killed last night. Multi-billionaire. And he was killed last night in a car accident on his way to Mumbai. Every minute, 18 people in India die in car accidents. That was just one of the, the things that came on that article. I have nothing to give. I've nothing to trade with. The only option we have is to turn, is to repent, is to turn to Christ. And I must trust him. Remember as kids in the school playground, you used to trade cards and things. Uh, perhaps in North America, baseball cards. I'm still trying to work out what baseball is, but I'm getting there. But we've nothing to trade because we're bankrupt. I can't, he can. Remember, we've spoken of this so often. I must live under his lordship. If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, you don't know Jesus. I bring myself under his instruction of the word of God. If you're not teachable, you've got a problem. 
because we need to listen to what God has to say to us. All of us are to learn. And I live in a spirit of thankfulness. The Christian life is all about being thankful to God for all that he has, all that he gives to us, and all that he continues to do for us. And now this morning, we return directly to Acts chapter 2. Now we've begun to look at this, if you remember, some weeks ago. And as we look at this chapter, uh, because we've looked at it before, or the beginning part of it, you may remember that we've seen clearly that our Lord Jesus Christ had to return to heaven for the Holy Spirit to come at Pentecost. A man once stated and made this point, he said, we are not going to move this world by our criticism. Now we looked at uh, judgmentalism last week, and we know that if we live a legalistic life, then by definition we will be judgmental towards other people, because if somebody's having fun and we're not having fun, we're going to be critical of the fun that they're having. You know, I'm not prepared to keep the rules. If you're not, legalism, judgmentalism go hand in hand. But we're not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it. I come across churches and people who say, well, you know, if we're just a bit more like them, then we'll save them. And I'll tell you what happens. If we imitate the world to win the world, we end up being won by the world. Young people particularly be aware of that. This man goes on and he says, not by criticism nor by conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. We're all sticks of dynamite in that sense. Because that's how we would change the world as people see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, changing us. Now, the man that made that statement is absolutely right. And this is the picture that we see of Pentecost. Going back to the early church that we read of in Acts of the apostles through the Holy Spirit, they had nothing that we perhaps might think of as essential today for churches. They didn't have buildings, not that we've got a particularly great building, but they didn't have buildings. They didn't have tents as nice as this one. I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have been very, very impressed with our tent. Don't you think so? <laughs> They didn't have sound systems to be able to talk to people, didn't have radio and didn't have television. They didn't have all the things that we just take for granted. They didn't have bags of cash, not that we've got bags of cash, but they didn't have money and we're wealthy in comparison to many people. They didn't have political influence. They didn't have a social standing, a social status in society. They were looked down upon. And yet what did the church do? The church won multitudes to Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit worked amongst them. And they saw new churches and fellowships established throughout the Roman world. And there was, however hard they tried to damp it down, pour cold water on it, they couldn't do it because the church was on fire. People were on fire as the Holy Spirit worked within them. There was an ignition that was taking place in place after place after place. And the church grew and it's continued to grow. And even to this day, it continues to grow. Don't let people say to you the church is getting smaller. Worldwide, it's not. Canada's a challenge, I agree. Britain's a challenge. 
But we've had great opportunity, and there are opportunities today that are taking place. The church won multitudes to Jesus Christ. And how and why did all this happen? Because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit energizing its ministry and its people. They were a people who were ignited by the Spirit of God. Now, forgive me for saying this. Some of you here this morning, I don't think, are able to understand what being ignited is at all. I've struggled with this. But you know when we have that enthusiasm within our hearts and lives, people will listen to us and that enthusiasm will come as the Holy Spirit works within us. When we've got a testimony, when we've got a story to share of what God has done within our hearts and within our lives, then we are ignited to be able to share that with other people. So the question that we have this morning is simply this. Are you ignited by the Holy Spirit of God? Or are you like one of the 19? I've never heard of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've heard of other people that have had some experience with the Holy Spirit. Sounds a bit scary to me. And yet, this is the question. And even posing this question will cause some people to feel uneasy. It will cause some of us to sit up and to listen. But sadly, not because we want to grow in our Christian life, but because we're worried that the pastor is going to say something that's going to cause us to feel very uneasy. And I've got everything sorted out. I've got my life sorted out. I don't want anything too rocky and too stressful. We went to the Paris Fair. I don't know, should I admit to having gone to the Paris Fair? Uh, but we had a good time. Well, I, I, my children did, okay? Who's ridden Freak Out? Is there anybody here? Okay, one, you have. Two, you? I thought you were sensible. <laughs> he bribed me, okay, okay. Freak Out, can you imagine being on Freak Out? Do you know what it is, this big metal thing? How did you feel? You passed out twice. Now, <laughs> okay, I don't quite know how to follow that. <laughs> so if you want to pass out, go on freak out, all right? It's just unbelievable, okay? I nearly passed out um, looking at it, okay? And, and then I think people pay for this experience. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, what's wrong with the world today? <laughs> My friends, we've got a lot of learning to do. And so we come now to this verse, verse 4 in Acts 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now right at the outset of this message, I want to remind you of something that is really important. And it's something that we sometimes forget. I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He's a person. He's not just some, I don't know, influence. He's not some liquid. I won't do it. But you could pour him out. A little bit here, a little bit there vital that we understand that because that enables us to understand so much of what is going on. When we talk of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to know what it is 
that we're talking. You can't put half a person in your life. The whole person. And the better we understand his work at Pentecost, the better we are able to relate to him and experience his power. Now, very quickly, we need to turn, uh, again, if you have your Bible, please uh, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 14. Um, The reason we do this is that we just need to clarify a little bit as to what the role of the Holy Spirit is. Now, I accept, obviously, fully that there are a number of roles that the Holy Spirit has. But we've got to look at this one here in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, 12 to the end of that section, which is verse 15. I'll read it. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, um, I think that's a lovely uh, word that the Lord gives here because he's saying, you know, there's only so much you guys can take. And I often think that in preaching, and it might be that we're not going to get to the end of our message this morning, which means that we're just going to stop, because what we do is we have to make sure that we understand what is being spoken of. So the Lord Jesus only knew, he knew that there was only so much they could take. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears... He will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now on the face of it, These verses are not overly easy to understand, but the reality is they're incredibly simple to understand, but it's us who don't want sometimes to understand them. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ Jesus, to glorify him in the life and in the witness of the believer. And this is what is so important. This is what we've been talking about during the course of the last few weeks. I'll say it, I can't, he can, okay? So if you remember nothing from the last few weeks, you'll remember that statement, I can't, he can. Somebody actually said to me, I've been looking in the mirror each morning and I've realized the truth of it. There's no way I can be like Jesus. It's only him living in me that enables me to be like Jesus. It's only him living in me that enables me to live the life of Jesus. It's only him in me that enables me to even think To have the mind of Christ, as the scriptures tell us. Because our minds don't want to do it. We'll think of everything possible not to think like Jesus. So it is now so important that we understand the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus living in us. So to be a Christian means that we have to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be like the chaps that Paul mentioned in Acts 19 who had not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, as we read the second part of Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the first part of the verse uh, says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the second part of the verse goes on and reads, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So it wasn't them that were able to speak in other tongues. It's the Holy Spirit in them that enabled them to be part of that tremendous miracle that took place. Now, we're not going to look at that this week, but we're moving into that next week. So this morning, we simply want to lay the groundwork, as it were, for discussing the issue of speaking in tongues and other exciting things spoken of in Acts. I recognize, again, there are some people that are already feeling somewhat uneasy at this particular point because the whole mention of tongues frightens you. But here we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit leads to some incredible things happening and that happened to the apostles. But everything was dependent upon the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit. They couldn't do it on their own. Nor would they have anything to say if they did it on their own. So we have to understand what this filling of the Holy Spirit is all about. A well-known preacher was asked to speak at a church. And he thought and prayed about uh, what it was that he should speak about. And uh, couldn't get away from it. It was to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so he thought he'd just uh, say to the secretary of the church... I'm going to come along, thank you for the invitation, going to talk about the Holy Spirit, to which the secretary went, (laughs) and his facial expressions changed, and it looked as though he'd just bitten into a lemon. And he said, do you know this church has been torn apart by the Holy Spirit? Now we perhaps can begin to think as to what it was that he was referring to. But that's the problem that he was seeing the negativity that there was, there was a problem within that church and there were difficulties that... Because of a misunderstanding or of an overemphasis or of an underemphasis of the work and person of the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is terribly sad because ironically, the great part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to unite the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us together. In and of ourselves, we can't do it. 
It is in our unity that we have our strength. And we've spoken about this this morning. And it will always be our unity as the days get harder for us. As government legislation becomes harder for us. And it will become much harder than we have seen even now. Our strength will be in our unity together. The best antidote to confusion and to division in the church is not to avoid the issue. But to address it and to understand this. What does the Bible actually say? Let's sit down, listen to the Spirit as we read the Scriptures. And so this morning, we're going to consider verse 4. In fact, we're just going to take the first half, and the next week we'll look at the second half. We've already read the verse, but what the verse is saying is this. And I'm going to just put it in the context of chapter 1. It's saying this, okay? All 120 men and women from um, uh, chapter 1, verse 15 who are waiting at the end of chapter 1 for this event to take place, for Pentecost to take place, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. If you read back into chapter 1, you will see this. Um, Somebody once in a vain attempt to discredit believers' baptism by full immersion made the point that it would have been physically impossible for the twelve apostles to have baptized 3,000 people that had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. It would have meant that each of the apostles would have to have baptized by full immersion around 250 people. That's a lot of work. But that is not the case. There were 120 believers plus the apostles who could easily baptize 22 people each. No problem. To be careful about trying to use scripture to defend the view that we want, the approach that we want. Can't do it. Shouldn't do it. Now when you read verse 4, we discover that it is actually about unity. How is verse 4 about unity? Let's just uh, read it again. So we go to Acts 2 and verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's about unity because the Holy Spirit, by definition, brings us into union with God. Let me please explain what I mean by this, because it's desperately important that we understand this. When there's division in churches, it's not the Holy Spirit that brings the division. Okay? The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. Previously, um, to Pentecost, the disciples and those who were with them had been servants of Jesus. Previously to Pentecost, they had been followers of Jesus. They had been friends of Jesus. They had been near to Jesus, but they were not one with Jesus. But now something wonderful's happened, and it's this. The life of God has come to inhabit their humanity. The actual life of God passed into their lives, and what happened at Pentecost was nothing less than that. 
In fact, the very essence of the gospel is this in itself. The essence of Christianity is this. The very reason why Jesus died on the cross was not just in order to help us to be forgiven of our sin or to see us to be forgiven of our sins. It was not just simply that we might be made clean, but that having been cleansed, the decks in our lives are cleared so that now the Holy Spirit can come and live. The life of Jesus in us and impart the life of God to us. Roald Amundsen was a great Norwegian uh, explorer. For English people, this is not a great story because the British explorer, Captain Scott, and what you're smiling for, Okay, he wanted to get to the South Pole first, to be the first man to plant the Union flag and to say a Brit did it. Okay, all very clever stuff. Uh, decided he'd take mechanized tractors, engines. This is in 1911. Simon, do you know anything about a tractor from 1911? How reliable would you describe it? Okay, maybe more reliable than today, I don't know. And so that was the approach that he took. He was going to take these mechanized tractors, whiz down to the South Pole, plant the flag and get home. Roald Amundsen decides that he's going to do it the old-fashioned way. So he gets his dogs out, feeds them up well, takes them down, and uh, off they go. In December 1911, Roald Amundsen appears at the South Pole, and he plants the Norwegian flag. A month later, Captain Scott arrives, and he sees the Norwegian flag fluttering. His efforts came to nothing. He died on the way back. I think only a few of them made it back. Food was running out, so he graciously said to the others in the little tent, I'm going outside, and I may be some time. And he just carried on walking into the distance to leave the others to have enough food to get back. Roald Amerson decided that the South Pole was one thing, but he wanted to conquer the North Pole. And so he did exactly the same thing, got his dog team together, and off they went. And he made it. And do you know what he'd brought with him, apart from his dogs? He brought a pigeon. It wasn't because if food was going to run out, they could eat the dogs. If there's any dog lovers here, sorry for making that point. And if the dogs ran out, they could eat the pigeon. No, 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 no. When he got to the North Pole... He opens the door of the little cage and the pigeon flies up into the sky and it flies around a few times and then it disappears into the horizon. A few days later, his wife opens the front door and looks out and she sees this pigeon circling the house. What does she shout? He's alive! My husband is alive! Because she saw the pigeon circling around and she knew that the pigeon would only be released once he'd made it to the North Pole. Friends, the Holy Spirit is just like that pigeon. Because as the disciples saw Jesus going back to heaven, they were at a pretty low ebb. How are they going to cope? 
Everybody's after us. We're terrified. They're in locked rooms. And the Holy Spirit comes and is circling. And do you know what they shout? He's alive! And not only is he alive, but he's living in me. And he's mine. So that, in a very real way, is what happened at Pentecost. The disciples had seen Jesus ascend to heaven. He's alive. He's alive. And he lives within me. You see, everything else in the Christian life is derived from this one fact. That his actual life is implanted in us. We're indestructible. Doesn't matter what this world throws at us. They'll never snuff us out. I can't. But he can. We become sharers of the life of Christ together. We're no longer on our own. The counselor, another name for the Holy Spirit, draws alongside us. Previously, Jesus had inhabited one body, but now he comes to create a new body. That's his, his church. And he indwells corporately together all those he has saved. And we become one with him. Now do you see why the Holy Spirit is all about unity? Because he lives in each one of us. And of course this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. This was the night that he took bread. And we're going to finish our message in a moment. Because this is the point that we come to. And we'll um, continue with the rest uh, next week. And he took bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And, and then he took the wine, which was a symbol of his blood. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And that very night, in that room, he also talked to them at length about many things. And you can read all this in John 14, John 15, John 16. And then he comes to his time of prayer in John 17. And what a wonderful prayer it is. And part of his prayer, verse 11, he said, Father, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. These will be one father as you and I are one. And later in verse 20 he says, My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And friends, that's you and me. 
Jesus is praying for us. He prayed for us then and he continues to pray for us. That all of them may be one Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Have you ever noticed that before? Our unity is so that the world will know that God has sent us. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. What's the repeated theme of this prayer? It's this. That they may be one, Father, as you and I are one.